Welcome to The Current, a podcast produced by We Stand for Energy. We Stand for Energy is a community that supports a reliable, affordable, and sustainable energy future for everyone, and is a project of EEI, the National Trade Association representing U.S. investor-owned electric companies. My name is Brad Vietor, Vice President of External Affairs at EEI, and I'm your host. Welcome back, everyone. Today, I've got the great pleasure of being joined by one of my colleagues and one of my friends, Eric Gray, who is coming at us with a different title than the last time we spoke to him. Eric is the recently appointed Vice President of Government Affairs at the Edison Electric Institute, and we are going to talk about Congress. So welcome back, Eric. Happy to have you. Hey, thanks, Brad, and good talking with you all again. All right, let's talk about Congress, but I'm going to go back a little bit in time and talk about probably the the most successful piece of legislation, one of the biggest pieces of legislation we've ever seen in what used to be called the BIF is now the law of the land called the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, which passed last fall. Can you give us a little bit of an overview of what is called the infrastructure bill? What is in it for electric companies and how some of that money is going to be utilized? Yeah, definitely, Brad. This was the the byproduct of the gang of 22 senators, the bipartisan group of senators that came to agreement over the summer on a bipartisan infrastructure bill, which was over approximately like one to $1.2 trillion worth of spending, not just on the infrastructure that you quickly think of when you hear the term as far as roads, bridges, and, and airports and things like that. But there was also, as you highlighted, a lot of funding sourced towards the electric industry. And that's dealing with access to energy efficiency, clean energy, a lot of demonstration and research hubs. Think of things like hydrogen, a a huge amount of money for electric vehicle infrastructure, billions and billions of dollars of grid resiliency and smart grid improvements. And then also an an issue I know you're really familiar with, Brad, is a, a boatload of money for broadband and broadband development all across the states and something I know our industry is really working towards is a fairly newer issue for us. But there was, I want to say, over $100 billion worth of potential funding opportunities included in this bill for the electric sector. I mean, that sounds like a huge victory for the industry and and huge victory for the Biden administration, right? I mean, the whole idea around infrastructure packages, I think, is to put people to work. And with as much money and with as broad as it is, it seems like that's certainly in play. In your role, and as you're thinking about the role EI plays with its relationship with its members, are, are you starting to get engaged in figuring out how to get companies connected to some of that money? And what steps are you taking to do that? Yeah, and that was immediately our pivot as far as focus. As soon as the legislation passed the House, which was in November, and then a couple weeks after that, the agencies that were responsible for all these variant programs, especially like in our world, the DOE, we immediately started reaching out to and started having those conversations about implementation. Because we were having those conversations with our members. Our members are, are very interested in looking at these various funds as an opportunity for investment, but most importantly, also for customer savings and, and ways that, that they can utilize these funds through the infrastructure development that they currently have going on. So I think for us, we're really trying to facilitate those early discussions with the agencies like DOE and DOT as they move forward with implementing this legislation uh, so that they can design these programs in a way that can be beneficial for our industry. Makes tons of sense. And I know there's a lot of work ahead, and I'm glad that you're thinking about it and getting engaged in that. 
Let's talk about what's next in Congress. I know that you're assuming a new role going from tax nerd to seeing everything. So I'm assuming you're going to tell me about a bunch of nerdy tax stuff that it's still percolating in Congress. So I'll ask you to go into some detail there, but also kind of express what else is in the discussion on Capitol Hill. Well, Brad, I, I don't think I've stopped being a tax nerd. I just have a, a, a bigger title. Of, of, I'm, I'm vice president now of tax nerds. But in all seriousness, we're looking to what's early on in 2022 for Congress. I think all eyes and attention, of course, is going to continue to be on Build Back Better Act. And especially in the wake of Manchin's comments prior to the holidays about him not being able to support its current form as it passed the House you know, how that may shake out at the end of the day. And, and, and I think that's something that we're going to, you know, have a better picture of over the next couple of weeks. A lot of people are talking about the deadline of, of March 1st, which is the president's state of the union, that they would like to try and get an, a, an agreement surrounding that date so that the president can be able to tout that. Do they make that deadline? At this point, there's a lot of unknowns, and I think it's unknown whether or not they can make that deadline. A lot of things have to align and go right. And a lot of discussions have to be had. The president talked about potentially whittling down the package or, or breaking it up into pieces. You know, at the end of the day, he still has to have the buy-in of all 50 Democratic senators on that aspect of doing that. So there's a lot more left to come on Build Back Better Act, which could stretch it even further into maybe past March 1st, into March, into April. We just had the recent announcement of the retirement of Justin Pryor that is going to take time and attention away from the Senate. Even if the perfect pick is out there, it's still going to take, I think, 30 plus days to be able to really quickly move forward with that, which at the end of the day, that's legislative time that they can't be working on Build Back Better Act. Some other things that you're likely going to see too, Congress, and what they're in the short term working on right now, is legislation, it's called USICA, and it deals with U.S. competitiveness and supply chain issues and China. You're going to see that in the short term. And then you also have a February 18th continuing resolution that they have to figure out a, a path forward on government funding. Is it going to be a large omnibus? Maybe. The appropriators right now are trying to, to work around and see if they can't get a deal. But it could be a short-term punt and then maybe an omnibus another month or two down the line. And what does that do to Build Back Better Act? So there's a lot of question marks as they head into these next couple of weeks. But I think the one thing you can guarantee on is Justice Breyer, I think, will suck up a lot of oxygen in the short term, especially in the Senate. Yeah, so let's play with that for a minute. So if I'm playing political advisor to the president at the moment, I'm like, okay, Build Back Better, it's kind of in a precarious position because of two senators in particular who don't love it and don't love the size of it. So there needs to be some negotiation about size, got it. But now there's this gift, which is a Supreme Court nomination. This is like Washington Super Bowl when these sort of things open up. So this gives him a chance to give a nod to all this progressive and start to figure out how he can maybe make some trades, right? So do you think it becomes a part of the negotiation on the legislative agenda? Or do you think, practically speaking, they just think about it like, look, this is actually the thing that I need. I can run. People can run re-elections based on who the Supreme Court nominee was, or do you think they need more legislative accomplishments? So that's mentally and politically, I've been trying to, to flush this out. What is the true impact of the just prior retirement announcement and how is it going to impact the, the politics surrounding Build Back Better Act? I, I agree with you. I do think by picking the right justice and 
really giving a, a, a chip or not to, to progressive side of the party, giving them something that they can run on with this nomination, I, I think could ease up the politics on other things. And maybe they don't get built back better act because of that. One thing that I, I'm of the mindset right now is, again, I said there's a lot of question marks, but I think it could cut both ways because with this nomination, I think the one thing that Build Back Better Act is needed is just time and less attention, where now you have this big shiny item that is going to draw out the attention of the media, of reporters, where, you know, prior to that, every five seconds was talking about how Build Back Better Act was failing, Democrats couldn't get all their ducks in an order, where I think this could potentially now give Build Back Better a little bit of breathing room where those negotiations can happen and can happen not in the public. Could they struggle with the nomination? And then that leads to even further delay on Build Back Better end, and then you get further into that midterm year? Totally. So it's almost a double-edged sword of how this could play out. Let's dig in for a minute on what other legislative vehicles remain. So let's say we're in this world and there's been a lot of discussion. The president said it. Maybe some, maybe this bill needs to be broken up into component parts. And I know that for our purposes uh, as electric industry, we've been pretty laser focused on the tax side and frankly, some of the things that are in the tax code there that, that help us out. If Build Back Better isn't able to move this one big piece, what are the legislative vehicles looking at a longer legislative horizon that could be utilized to pass some of that stuff? That's a great question, Brad, because when you look at the landscape of the next several weeks, several months towards the end of the year, I think your big one that, that you're looking to are in the short term is the idea of if they do cut a deal on the CR and on the omnibus, there are items that you could potentially place into that agreement that could pass muster that are included in the Build Back Better Act. Could it be taxed up? Maybe. But again, those negotiations, it's all a question of how closely knit they are and how politically fragile are they. But especially when you're looking at the tax stuff, tax extenders. We go through this practice every year as, as a tax lobbyist. My Christmas always gets ruined because they wait until the last minute to do a tax bill. And that kind of gets into that lame duck session. Could that be an opportunity for all the various clean energy tax credits to come further into play if they don't do Build Back Better Act? 100%. Because some of them definitely fit into that mold of your standard extenders. Again, lots of question marks just because politics in a lame duck come more into play of who's getting the majority and who's not. But besides that, I think those are your two kind of big bell cows that could carry a lot of what it is encompassed in Build Back Better Act. Because, yeah, there's a lot of discussions around it. You know, can they cut a deal on the child tax credit? Maybe, but I don't know if that's a vehicle that can carry it alone. Yeah, cool. All right, well, look, Eric, I appreciate your time and your insights as always. I know it's a little bit of a parlor game because there are so many things at play, but I appreciate the insights and you giving us some time and, and perspective. It's really useful information. Anytime, Brad, and always enjoy coming on here. We hope you found this to be an informative 15 minutes, and we look forward to bringing you additional expert insights on energy policy. To learn more about EEI and the electric power industry, visit www.eei.org. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts by searching for The Current and We Stand for Energy.